Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It is wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And today is a very special day. Today is Yom Ha'atzmaut, a day when we celebrate the declaration of the State of Israel. And today Israel turned 75 years old. It was on this day, so it was the 15th of May, 1948. But the Hebrew date is the 5th of Iyar, which is the Hebrew date today. And therefore, today is the day we celebrate the establishment of the State of Israel 75 years ago. And it's with a great joy and great appreciation to God and tremendous gratitude that we reflect on this gift that the Jewish people were given, this uh, independence in our homeland, our beloved Eretz Israel. The Jews have always been connected to Israel right from the outset, from the beginning of the creation of the Jewish people, Avraham, Avinu, Abraham, our forefather, the matriarch of the Jewish people, was promised by God this land, that his descendants would inherit the land and would um, live in the land, and that would be their home, the home of the Jewish people. And ever since that point, more than 3,000 years ago, the Jewish people have been very strongly attached to the land, have had a great affinity and affection and love for the land of Israel and have been connected to the land from that point, from that, uh, right from the beginning of the creation of the Jewish people. And so I think it's important. Um, I don't think there's a country in the world that is, has been more victimized and has been the spotlight placed on it than Eretz Israel. And there are many revisionist historians around that distort the creation and the establishment of the State of Israel and how things um, ended up in having a state and what the situation was at the beginning um, and how the different peoples in the region dealt with um, the establishment of the State of Israel. And I think it's important to understand the history and understand what transpired and get a clarity as to how Israel began, and certainly that gives one a clear understanding of the situation today, because unfortunately in 75 years, not that much has changed in terms of Israel dealing with its neighbors in the region. So that's what I want to do with you today, is to go through a basic general history of the circumstances and the miraculous events that led to the establishment of the State of Israel. It will give us an appreciation we see very clearly God's hand in um, there being a state of Israel and will give us an insight into the challenges that Israel has faced since its inception and uh, that have continued to this very day. So let's start with um, the end of World War One, and Britain then took over control of the area of the region of Palestine. They took over control of Palestine from the Ottoman Empire. And as early as 1917, the Balfour Declaration 
was released by the government of England saying that the British government was in favor of a Jewish state. And those sentiments were confirmed in the 1919 Treaty of Versailles. And so the Jewish people were very positive and optimistic that finally they would be returning to their homeland and have an independent Jewish state in the land of Israel. The, in order to placate the Arabs in the region, so Britain decided to split the mandate, which was called the British Mandate of Palestine, into two. In 1921, the eastern part was given to the Arabs, which was called Transjordan, and uh, they established the Hashemite King Abdullah as the leader of Transjordan, of that section. Uh, Even though England hoped that it would satisfy the Arabs, it certainly did not do so and, uh, and did not achieve much from that point of view. And the entire period of the mandate was filled with violence. Arabs rioted on a regular basis, Jewish groups formed because it became apparent quite soon after the early 1920s that Britain would renege on their promise in the Balfour Declaration and the Treaty of Versailles. And um, then we have World War II. And as we know, World War II was a war of um, annihilation, genocide against the Jewish people with the Holocaust. And at the end of the Second World War, Britain emerged quite weak. Um, It had been bled dry, and hopes for maintaining the empire were now futile. It had come to terms with the fact that it had to give up India, and if it had to give up India, so the reason to maintain a strong defense of the Suez Canal was no longer there. The main reason for them defending Suez Canal was in order to protect the route to India. But nevertheless, a power that's accustomed to a major imperialistic empire, as England was, finds it very difficult to leave the world stage gracefully. And England therefore pursued a policy to protect her interests in the Middle East, and her interests were no longer uh, India, but rather uh, Britain's interests were now the oil companies in the Middle East, They had major holdings in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia, and later the United States took over these holdings of the oil companies over there. But uh, since the world economy after World War II was based on fuel, not very different to what it is today, it remained strategically necessary for England to maintain herself and protect her oil interests in the Middle East. So we um, see that the other player at the time, so that's England's point of view, the other player, major player at the time was, of course, the Soviet Union. And even though the Soviet Union suffered tremendous losses in World War II, more than 20 million Russians died in the war, and still Russia emerged as a great one of the great empires in Europe. Under Stalin, it controlled a third of Germany, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Hungary, Romania, Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, None other East European states was an enormous empire with enormous resources and a dictator running it. And it always had an eye on the Middle East. Russia always wanted to be a Middle Eastern power. It was blocked by Turkey and by Iran in the south. Uh, But nevertheless, it uh, continued to have aspirations to have control and power in Turkey. So... 
You have England backed by the United States on the one side. You have Russia on the other side. And that created um, – sorry, the world had created at that time, of course, the UN, the United Nations, um, which, you know, by definition, a organizations of nations is imperfect um, because all nations have different aspirations and different agendas. The United Nations was set up in a way that it had a security council, which was run by the five great powers, China, France, England, the United States, and Russia. And Russia had the power of veto, so nothing effective could, ha- could happen unless Russia and the other four major powers were in agreement. So into this uh, situation, into this mix, was thrown the question of Palestine. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the miraculous events leading to the establishment of the State of Israel, because today Israel turns 75, today is Yom Ha'atzmaut, the day where we celebrate the establishment of the State of Israel, on this day, the 5th of ER, 75 years ago in 1948. And we're trying to understand the historical background and the incredible events that ended up with the State of Israel being declared. After World War II, the nations of the world set up the United Nations with the Security Council, and there was a major humanitarian crisis after World War II, because there were 250,000 survivors of the Holocaust, uh, of Hitler's death camps, and they were placed in what was called the DP camps, displaced person camps, which is really a euphemism for refugees. And most of the camps were in Germany and in the middle of Europe. And the big question was what to do with these people. None of them wanted to go back to Eastern Europe, certainly not to communist-dominated Eastern Europe. About 5,000 Jews returned to Poland. They were immediately met with a violent pogrom, and um, a number of pogroms in which hundreds of Jews were killed. The Poles made it clear they didn't want the Jews back in Poland, and therefore they had nowhere to go. They took a poll amongst the refugees, and the vast majority said they wanted to go to Palestine. The United States was willing to accept a few of them, but not 250,000. And President Truman in 1946 asked the British Foreign Secretary, Ernest Bevan, who himself was a overt anti-Semite, um, Truman asked him to allow 100,000 Jewish refugees into Palestine, which the British had uh, denied immigration into Palestine. The British uh, blockade prevented the ships from going in. And Bevan answered and he said, that he wants to send them to Palestine because he doesn't want them in New York. The English refused to make any accommodation regarding this pressing issue of refugees. And it became a big question of justice after the Holocaust. Um, Britain was portrayed as the villain, and, uh, and there was a lot of pressure on the British government to allow these refugees into Palestine. And uh, at that time, there was 
a three-way war going on in Palestine. You had the Arabs, you had the English, you had the Jews, you had Jewish organizations that were trying to put pressure on England, the Irgun, um, Etzel, who was uh, led by Menachem Begin, you, you had um, Lehi, Loichme, um, Cheirus Israel, which was also otherwise known as the Stern Gang. The British called them the Stern Gang. Abraham Stern was their leader. That was actually made up of, uh, of Orthodox Jews. And they, those two groups in particular, mounted a number of attacks on Britain, on British troops in Palestine. There were outrages on all sides, and the country was quite chaotic. In order for England to maintain its hold on the country, they would need another 50,000 to 80,000 soldiers. England couldn't afford it, and England believed the chaos was to its benefit. The sides would beg England to stay in order to impose some order on the, on the country. And Britain was convinced that the Jews would beg her to maintain control and the mandate because the Arabs, who were the majority at the time, would destroy them. And the Arab armies were massed on the borders. So obviously the Jews would be overrun and destroyed if Britain was not there to protect them. So the only hope for the Jews would be for England to stay. Um, and if the Jews would ask England to stay, so that would be the end of any Zionist aspirations, because the condition would be that they would only stay if there would be no more immigration and the hopes of a Jewish state would be snuffed out. So Russia also had its plans at the time. So, that, so the chaos Britain felt was to its um, benefit and was in its favor. Russia had their own cheshboinus, their own calculations and agendas. From the end of World War II, Russia remained quite silent about Israel. Um, for about two years, they didn't say anything. The Russians wanted to get into the Middle East, as mentioned. Uh, and they didn't mind whether it was via the Arabs or via the Jews. Um, the communist government was always very anti-Zionist. Uh, we, we know that very well, especially with documents that are coming out now that are being released publicly. Um, Menachem Begin wrote his book called White Nights, where he describes the anti-Zionist sentiments of the communists. Um, Begin was actually part of the Polish army when Russia invaded in September 1939, and the Polish army was then sent to Siberia. And he writes about his experiences and um, so when Russia attacked Germany in 1941, sorry, was attacked by Germany in 1941, the, um, England insisted that the Polish army would be freed and be brought to the West and assist in the fight against Germany. They fought in Italy and elsewhere. Begin went AWOL and he walked all the way to Palestine. And uh, he was a disciple of Zev Jabotinsky, believed in the Jews having the ability to defend themselves and and uh, creating their own independent Jewish state. When he arrived, he took over the running of the Irgun from David Raziel, who had been killed, and he then spearheaded the struggle against Britain. But anyway, so we see the Russians were very anti-Zionist, um, and England felt that the Russians would never support the Zionist aspirations because of their, uh, their history and um, the, the indications of what they uh, thought about the Zionist movement. 
And uh, even though they had a different interests in the Middle East, the, the England saw it impossible for Russia to to uh, support the an independent Jewish state. And um, so th- there was actually a miscalculation by England. We see that everybody miscalculated over here. It never turned out how anybody saw it. And that really is an application of God's hand and how Rabbis Machshavos believe each that people have plans, have strategies, have agendas, but Hashem's plan is that which remains in place. And we see it very clearly with the events that led up to the establishment of the State of Israel. So England made a dramatic gesture. They thought that they were short of money. They were bankrupt. They wanted to maintain their, their control in the Middle East and the mandate. They couldn't afford to do it. So they thought that they would hand it over to the United Nations. The United Nations would decide what to do. And they thought it was inevitable that the United Nations would decide that England should stay there in order to keep the peace. And then the United Nations would fund it. So England would maintain their control and they wouldn't have to pay for it. That was their strategy. That was their plan. And uh, Ernest Bevan said in a cabinet meeting, these are the, the uh, minutes from that meeting. I'll read you directly from the minutes. He said, Look at the United Nations Charter and then look at the nations belonging to it. In order to obtain a favorable decision for partition, the Jews will need a two-thirds of the vote of the General Assembly. They will only be able to obtain those two-thirds if the Western and Eastern blocs will both support the decision and the implementation of the resolution. Nothing like this has ever happened. It cannot happen, and it will never happen. So Bevan was convinced and very confident that if they give it to the United Nations, the United Nations will throw it back at them, but will support their uh, peacekeeping efforts in in Israel. So the um, the the, the um, chaos that was present in the country was very much to the benefit of Britain and of their what they saw their strategy with regards to the Middle East. Um, the U.S. would give them the money, the U.N. will give them money, and they'll be able to bring another 50,000 troops. They will remain the um, the dominant power. The mandate will continue, and their stronghold will continue. And uh, and the chaos would prove that the Balfour Declaration was not possible, and Britain will protect its, its interests, and a vestige of the imperial greatness of Britain would be maintained. So Stalin played both sides. So that's Britain. Stalin, as he often did, played both sides. He um, was led to believe the information he received that the Israeli Communist Party, Communist Party was very strong, which is true. It was strong. And he saw the strength of the Labour Party, that was the, which was dominant in the, part, in, in the country and which was staunchly socialistic. So he felt that if there was a Jewish state, not that the Communist Party would win, but that um, they, they, something, the same thing would happen in Israel as happened in Czechoslovakia. There would be enough communists in the government and they would stage a coup and they would be able to take over the government and Russia then would have a foothold smack in the Middle East. And... Um, Many in Israel actually believe that would, that, that was accurate and that is actually what would happen. It's to Ben Gurion's everlasting credit 
that when he became prime minister and formed his coalition government, um, it was a wall-to-wall coalition with the exclusion of the Communist Party. They were the only party that weren't invited into the coalition. Ben-Gurion very smartly smelt the Trojan horse, and he realized that if the communists would get into the government, um, it would cause great problems. You know, once the bear gets in, you can never get it out, as we could see in the history of Europe. And so he saw um, um, a major problems over there, and he kept them out. So Russia played the Jewish card. They indicated to um, to the um, Zionist movement that they would support the Jewish state. And um, they also played the Arab card because they wanted the oil, but they want, mainly wanted England out of the Middle East, and so they could fool that vacuum and take control of the Middle East. So that's England, that's Russia. Enters the United States. The United States, after World War II, was the dominant world power. They had a monopoly on nuclear weapons. They had the largest industrial base out of all the major powers. They suffered the least in World War II although 600,000 American soldiers were killed, compared to the millions of the other countries, it was relatively small. They had the most powerful economy. They didn't suffer any destruction to their territory, to their infrastructure. England was destroyed by the Blitz. Germany was destroyed. France was destroyed. Russia was destroyed. So the United States suffered much less loss from the war, and they were the dominant world power. The... Um, United States right now only had a new president, um, Harry Truman. Roosevelt died, and uh, he was a very unlikely president, uh, Truman. He was the vice president. Most people knew very little about him. And now he takes over from Roosevelt after Roosevelt's death in April 1945. Truman was known as the accidental president. Uh, interestingly enough, again, we see God's hand. If Roosevelt would have lived, it's pretty certain that we wouldn't have a, a Jewish state, that the state of Israel would not have been declared. Although the Jews loved Roosevelt, it only became known later that he was not a friend. He was not a blessing for the Jewish people. And so God's hand is at work and orchestrating events in a way that the Jewish people could um, achieve their beloved independence in their homeland. Truman gets involved in the Cold War, and the State Department of the United States was always anti-Jewish, always anti-Zionist, and they were of the opinion that they could control Truman, they could run the foreign policy, and uh, they clearly expressed their opposition to a Jewish homeland and felt that it would be against American interests. American interests also were the oil. Um, England owed the United States so much money at the end of World War II that they wouldn't be able to play, pay. So gradually, the U.S. took over the oil companies in the Middle East, and the State Department felt that none of that could be jeopardized by what was going on in Israel. And so it was decided that the U.N. would appoint a special commission that would advise and come up with a recommendation as to what to do in Palestine. They called it UNSCOP, which stands for the United Nations Special Commission on Palestine. Um, and England hoped that the British mandate would stay. Russia hoped that Britain would get out and they would step in. The United States didn't really know what they hoped, but they wanted to protect their 
oil interests in the Middle East. UNSCAF was comprised of a number of uh, different countries which were members of UNSCAF. There were 11 nations that were members. Um, They uh, were Australia, Canada, Czechoslovakia, Guatemala, India, Iran, Holland, Peru, Sweden, Uruguay, and Yugoslavia. So we see there's quite a broad spectrum of countries. There were Muslim countries, there were European countries, South American countries. And so they, the committee was constructed in such a way that they felt no decision would be reached. And that was part of the plan um, of England. And they therefore were very, very confident that there wouldn't be a resolution to the problem coming from the UN. And so they said that they would follow any recommendation made by UNSCAP. They would accept what their decision was. And uh, little did they know that UNSCAP would come to an agreement. So there were many factors that were involved at the time, of course, in the decision-making process. We see that um, the uh, at that time there was uh, the big problem of the refugees weighed heavily on world opinion. There was the famous famous boat, the Exodus, um, which in 1947 um, it's arrived on the shores of Haifa at four and a half thousand people. It was an old United States ferry, and uh, it actually was built for 1,200 people. There were four and a Four and a half thousand Jewish refugees and the British sent it back to Germany in the arrogance. You imagine such a thing. 1947, after the Holocaust, they send these four and a half thousand refugees back to Germany, um, which was the center of the annihilation and, um, destruction of the, the Jews in Europe. And, um, so obviously there was a, a huge international outcry. People died on the ship. People, were killed by the British, and uh, from it grew the novel by Leon Uris called Exodus 1947. A movie came out of it as well. So there, this was a, there was big public relations war, and for once in our history, it was won by the Jews. Since then, the, our public relations have relations have been terrible. Goes to Israel, which is a big problem in the world today. There's a great bias in the media against Israel. It's very unfair how they portray Israel. They do so in a very twisted way where they um, distort the facts and make Israel appear like the aggressor, and uh, they show pictures of, of Palestinian children suffering at the hands of the Israeli occupiers. There's very few pictures or sentiment of Jews, Jewish children suffering at the hands of Palestinian terror- terrorists. So uh, that was one time when the public relations war was won by, by um, Israel. Unfortunately, since then, they, they've been losing the public relations war. UNSCAP votes, they take a, a vote, um, it was very, very close, but they decide within UNSCAP to recommend partition, and uh, they voted very slightly, there was an agreement, a majority, that there should be a partition of Palestine, part of the uh, land be given to control by, by the Jews, and part of the land to be given control by the Arabs. And uh, now this recommendation of UNSCAP would have to be adopted and accepted by the General Assembly and a two-thirds majority would be needed in order to push that through, in order for that resolution to be accepted, um, which was a very, very difficult thing to achieve to get two-thirds to vote in favor of 
partition, which really is the code word for an independent Jewish state and an independent Arab state. And so it's now sent to the General Assembly of the United Nations in 1947. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So UNSCAP recommends that the, uh, the problem in Palestine should be dealt with by partitioning the um, area into two parts. One will be controlled by Jews, one will be controlled by Arabs. So to Britain's shock, that's the recommendation um, by the majority of the members of the UNSCAP committee. And now it is sent to the General Assembly for, for acceptance, and a two-thirds majority would be required in order to get it through. Now, the the pinnacle point over here is Russia. The Russians now, um, we actually have insight into the foreign policy from documents that have now been released since the um, fall of communism and the implosion of the evil system. Um, and the those communists indicate that the Russians said that if we support the Arabs in the Middle East, that, as we mentioned, they very much want to get into the Middle East. But their logic was the following. If we support the Arabs, we'll have an Arab country that is poor with no economic basis and stuck with fundamental Muslim ideas. Better to have a Jewish country that will be rich and powerful and we will subvert it from the inside and take it over. Uh, why should we take over a poor country that we'll have to keep supplying with money and materials? Over the years, let us rather take over a rich country that uh, will be a basic ally for us. So that's the basic view of the Russians. And um, therefore, they indicated to the shock of the world that they would support this resolution and they would support partition. Andre Gromenko, who was the spokesman on behalf of the Russian government, said that they will endorse the aspirations of the Jews to establish a state um, it was absolutely shocking, and uh, they said no Western country succeeded in protecting the elementary rights of the Jews, and therefore the Russian government will support partition, which now changed the whole picture because the Soviet Union were not just one vote. They had all those countries that were part of the, East, part of the Eastern Bloc as well. Um, Ukraine and Belarus were independent states, and um, with those other satellites, it was now for the first time possible and realistic that the, the Zionist movement would achieve the two-thirds majority which was needed. France also was on the side of Israel. Um, France tried to rid themselves of the image that they collaborated with the Nazis and um, they uh, therefore um, were also voting on the side of the of partition. They had also colonies in Africa and in South America. So there was a feeling that, you know, uh, there was a feeling in the world generally that was the right thing to do. To now give, after the Jews suffered so extensively in World War II, that they should be having their own independent state. USA, of course, are pivotal in the issue because just like Russia is not alone, USA are not alone, and there are many others that will follow the lead of the United States. Truman and the State Department are split on the issue. General George Marshall was the Secretary of State and uh, one of the great heroes of World War II. He oversaw the training and armament of the U.S. Army 
which brought about the victory of the Allies. He came up with a Marshall Plan after the war, which saved Europe. He is a very talented and and, uh, intelligent person. And so he says to Truman that if you support a Jewish state, I'll resign as Secretary of State and I'll campaign against you in the 1948 elections. Truman was quite an interesting character. He didn't like to be spoken to in that tone. And he said to, he called himself a stubborn Missouri farmer, Truman. He said to Marshall, he said, George, you do what you have to do. I'll do what I have to do. But George, I want to remind you that I'm still president of the United States. And Truman gave a commitment for the, to the Zionist movement that he would support partition. There's an amazing story about um, his friend Eddie Jacobson who convinced him to support the Zionist movement. I, we unfortunately don't have time for that story, but it's also an, one, another uh, piece of the puzzle of God's hand and of significant events happening at just at the right time in order to achieve the ultimate goal. And so the Zionist movement worked very, very hard in order to uh, secure the votes, and they used all means possible. They tried to convince individuals by um, whining and dining them. There was one individual that they um, that they arranged a lot of alcohol. They arranged women. He came to the vote. His government said he should vote no, and he voted yes. And so on the 29th of November, 1947, the UN voted on the issue, and they voted 33 in favor and 13 against. And the two-thirds majority was achieved. Today, we'd never achieve a two-third majority. Um, we'd struggle to get three votes in the United Nations um, in today's situation, but it was absolutely amazing, an incredible situation. There was a very strong momentum. Uh, it was really took a life of its own against all logic, logic and against the will of everyone. And that's what we call Hashkacha Pratis, Hashem's hand steering world events in a certain direction. Of the 13 votes that were against, that were no, 11 were from Muslim countries and the other two were Cuba and Greece. Um, they voted no, but there were 33 voted in favor and the partition plan is passed. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So the nations voted in favor of partition. 33 to 13 is the vote. And the Jewish leaders accepted the partition. And uh, the Arab world rejected it. And as mentioned, the great era of Arab leadership had throughout these 75 years has been to reject any proposal for peace and for mutual understanding because the Arab world can't tolerate the existence of a state of Israel. They, they won't stop until there's no longer a state of Israel. And that's why, unfortunately, this crisis and the struggle continues in the Middle East and it seems to be the case that it will continue going forward. It's very important for the Jewish people to understand that and to realize we have to do what we need to do in order to defend ourselves, in order to ensure that Israel remains strong and vibrant and continues to develop and grow, and that the reality is that the Arab world will never accept 
the existence of the state of Of course, we're always open to peace and we always want to pursue any avenue possible to create a, a peace with our neighbors. But if that is not possible, which it seems to be the case, um, we have to move forward in a way that we defend ourselves, in the way that we ensure the security of the state of Israel, and we make sure that um, the Jewish people are still able to thrive in our beloved homeland state of Israel. And as soon as the state was declared on May the, 15, May the 14th, 1948, so um, the Arab armies attacked and invaded, seven Arab armies attacked, no one thought the Jews had a chance, even though the revisionist historians say that the Arabs never had a chance. It's not true at all. The facts are that it was overwhelmingly against, uh, unlikely that the Jews would be successful in the war. Um, but it was a miraculous victory, the war of independence. And uh, God's hand is clear again that against all odds, these uh, refugees and this, you know, um, uh, group of of uh, individuals that had no military training and had no um, army b- behind them were able to to defeat these sev- seven well-armed uh, and well-trained Arab armies. But even, and so that's the war of independence in 1948, and even with the victory in the war um, that maintained Jewish survival in Israel, the Arabs have never accepted the partition, and there's, of course, an existential problem of the existence of Jews in the land of Israel within the Arab world, and therefore we continue to face those issues over there after 75 years. And so we're very grateful to God that the state of Israel was declared and these miraculous events took place 75 years ago, and we pray that God protects us and that there will be peace in our eternal homeland and that the state of Israel should be vibrant and should be strong. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.